There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered to his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, who kill the, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands and remains forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Well, guess where Jesus has been? He's been burning up the roads from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem and back and forth. He's been healing the sick. He's been challenging the religious leaders of his day. And he's been telling more and more perplexing parables or stories. And of course, we have not one today, but three such parables or stories. Once again, Jesus is doing something he loved to do as the friend of sinners. He's hanging out with the nobodies and the outcasts. Notice verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. They couldn't get enough of Jesus. But there was another group that had all they wanted of Jesus. And they were the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. Listen to Luke 15, 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They're disgusted with Jesus and this riffraff that he keeps hanging around with. So, Jesus decides it's time for one of those perplexing parables. It's time for them to get a few more lessons about the God who is and who loves his people. Now, Jesus then decided to tell some stories. Three, as I've mentioned already, all from the 15th chapter. And what you should notice very carefully, a lot of times people read this section or, and they kind of break it up and they break it into three different stories. It, they all, there are three different stories, but they are all interrelated. They all have connection, increasingly important connection, one to another, setting the last one up for the real point. You see, the first two provide an overture to this significantly longer third story, verses 11 through 32. And they contain all of these, the first two, they contain a four-part structure. Number one, something or someone, something or someone is lost. Secondly, it is sought after. Thirdly, it is found, and when it is found, fourthly, there is great rejoicing. 
as the result of that which is lost being found. So today's outline goes like this. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son or sons. Let's dig in. The lost sheep, that's three through seven. We've already looked at one and two. The first parable begins with a shepherd who has lost one of his precious sheep. It's very, it was very common in that time uh, to have pretty good size uh, sheep uh, gathering. And to have a hundred was not anything extraordinary. And yet though this guy has a hundred sheep, he's absolutely torn up about the one sheep that he presently can't find. And so when the shepherd noticed he was missing one sheep, he didn't say, oh, ah, well, so I got 99 more. No big deal. No. He was so concerned that he went out pursuing, looking for that one precious sheep to him. No, he set out to find the lost sheep. And when he did, he went crazy with delight and joy. Put that sheep on the back of his shoulders, holding its feet and brought it back to the fold. And then he said, we've got to have a party. We've got to celebrate this event because my lost sheep has been found and is back with the fold. And then notice what Jesus says in verse 7. Notice what he says. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous you should have quotes by the word righteous person who needs no repentance. You see, he's saying in heaven, there's more celebration over one single person that repents than over all the righteous 99 of the so-called righteous who feel they have no need of being saved, they're already all good in their minds. They don't need a Savior. Jesus is not saying they don't need a Savior. He's saying they don't think they need one. They're foolish to believe that there is any other, but they think they got everything they need. Now comes the lost coin. Verses 8 through 10. There's a woman in Jesus' parable who probably wore a band of silver coins around her head. And you know what that signified? That she was married. Hopefully, happily married. And that was part of her beauty, of her garment. And the way that they did that, it was kind of like stringing silver pieces. They punch a hole through the silver and it would become a necklace. But 
in her case, one somehow one of the coins was lost. And she couldn't find it. And she became incredibly distraught. And she kept looking and turning over and everything. And finally, finally, at last, she found it. And what did she do? Something very similar to what the shepherd did. She decided to throw a party for all her friends nearby. Friends and relatives. She was so elated. This this coin meant so much to her. She lost one of those coins, she searched for it, and she found it. And when she did, she invited them all. Verse 10, notice what it says. In verse 10, in this case, it says, Just so I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner. Who repents. One sinner that truly repents. Now, do you get the pattern? Do you see the pattern? There's something precious that gets lost. It gets sought for. And it get, when it's found, there is a great celebration. But that's only true of the first and the second parable. There's something missing in this third and longer parable. Let's dig into that now. You got the pattern, but let's see what's different. We could call this, as I said, the lost son or sons, to be more accurate. The third parable or story is about a son who went to his father and asked for his inheritance. Do you realize how ghost that is? How absolutely insulting. That was unthinkable in that time. In ancient Jewish society, what the son was asking for was absolutely absurd and so, so rude. For him to ask for his inheritance while his father was still alive? Are you kidding me? What a jerk! This guy was. But, strangely, strangely, it was, in essence, like saying, I wish you were dead, old man. Give me what's mine now. It's basically... This this kid was trouble. Now we're told why, or excuse me, we're not told why the father gives his son this inheritance. Or what he had to do to get it. That's a story in and of itself. What must he have done? Who must he have taken from and put other people out of business to give two sons? One got the bigger portion, but the other would have got a pretty significant of the estate. How he got it, guarantee you there were a lot of angry workers around the farm, around the vineyard. But moving on, how did he get it? Doesn't, it's not, we're not told. 
except that he did. He gave it to this rotten, spoiled son. He then goes and tries. The son says, all right, I got what I want. Time to party. He then goes and tries to find life in a bottle. Today, it might be a syringe, might be something else. But he starts looking for life in all kinds of places, sordid places in many cases. And he ends up at rock bottom with nobody but pigs for friends. So what now? What happens? Then he finally has somewhat of an epiphany. And he kind of wakes up and realizes, wait a minute, what am I doing? The hired servants in my dad's house have have got so much better and so much more. I am going to find a way to get back and maybe I can do some wheeling and dealing and prid quo quo with dad. And maybe I can get at least not be in this pigsty that I'm living in. So he finally wakes up and realizes he's been foolish and he decides to find his way home again. Now, here's something you you shouldn't miss. To do that, he's scheming. He's not going home fully broken. He's frustrated. He knows he's got to do something, but he's going to make a deal somehow with dad. At least at this point in time. That's what he's counting on. He's going to find some way that he can, you know, he won't be where he was, but, but he won't be way down there. He'll be somewhere and he can build, work his way back up again. You see, that's the human heart. Always trying to negotiate with God and work your way back up and out of the mess that you got yourself in and that I've gotten myself in. That's, that's the default Switch for the human race post-Adam and Eve. So, as the son finally approaches his former home, the father spots him way, way off. Incredibly distance away. Probably he was going... What? Who's that on the on the rampart there on the on the uh, top of the the castle? <laughs> well, it wasn't a castle, but uh, the their home, quite palatial home. Probably who's that up there? Looks looks kind of like my dad. I, that, that wouldn't be. He, he's. I'm going to have to really work hard to get back in. Couldn't he? Couldn't imagine that. But for long, dad is running to him, and when he gets there, he knocks him over with a bear hug. And tells his servant to go kill the fatted calf. Throw a party like they've never imagined. He just kisses him and smothers him with gifts. His own precious ring. His own robe of authority of the family. All of this is being given to this spoiled brat. What, what, what do you call this? I'll give you a hint. It's called G-R-A-C-E. Grace. You'll see more of that. So, when he sees his father, 
He runs to him, as I said, embracing, kissing him, throwing an incredible party like they've never seen before. And they all lived happily ever after. Right? No. (laughs) No. Not somebody. That's for sure. The son unworthily has found grace. But there's another son. This is not the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of the prodigal sons. Plural. They're just very different. You see, there's another son in this parable that was also lost, but in a very different way than the obvious lost boy. You see, the younger son was a wild boy. He was the secular version of finding life on your own, finding salvation on our own terms. But there's another way, and that's through religion. I'm using religion in a pejorative way there, not not in a... uh, an appropriate way. A lot of books use the word religion, and it's just talking about spirituality, if you want to say it that way. But in this case, religion, what the Pharisees and the scribes, they were building their own kingdom, making their own way with their righteousness to God. You see, that is a religiousness that is deadly, damning. The younger son was the wild boy, the secular version. But in the end, the younger son is at the party with dad. The bad guy, because of grace, is inside in Rivendell. And the home, last homely house in this beautiful place of tranquility and protection, and warmth. However, it's the older son that wants nothing to do with the father's grace and mercy. He's been doing it right all the time, always. And now he is absolutely disgusted with his father and with his sorry brother, He's done it right, and now, look, he's not been treated with this grace. You see, they both are lost. And most of the people in this world do not know that. They think the lost are the really bad people, the kind that Jesus was hanging around with. Pharisees now, there's the, there's the righteous people. But you see, they're both lost. They both are on one-way paths that are very dark. You see, they both are lost. They both are distant from the heart of God. And both are in rebellion. 
that elder brother was rude, disrespectful, rebellious. He had done his litany of all his good deeds, and he is disgusted with his father and insults him. But you see, the difference is only one is secular, secular and one is sacred. One is raunchy and the other is religious. But they both, both are lost boys. You see, there is no other way. The way through goodness, there's no other way. Both are lost, but listen to me. Guess which one is most likely to realize it? Now think about that. Is it the older son or is it the younger son? If you guess number two, you're right. It's the wild boy. It's the broken, the sinners, the kind that Jesus hung around because they know they're a mess. They know they need help from God. They've already blown their opportunity way long time ago. But this Jesus makes them feel like there maybe is hope even for them. You see, so many religious people try to avoid going to Jesus and attempt to clean up and straighten up their own lives and their own messes. Sure that God will accept that. That is a dead end, my friend. That is a dead end. You see, so many religious people try to avoid going to Jesus. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes and all of them were doing. They didn't want to be with this rabbi. They didn't want to learn from him, the Son of God. They wanted to build their own kingdom on their terms. They didn't need a Savior. I love what Max Lucado says. Listen to this about grace. Grace is created by God and given to man. Think about that. It's not earned by man. By grace, you are saved. Not as a result of works. The scriptures tell us in Ephesians. Grace is created by God and it's given as a gift to man. On the basis of this point alone, Christianity is set apart from other religions in the world. John Stott says no other system, ideology, or religious or religion proclaims a free forgiveness and a new life to those who have done nothing to deserve it and deserve judgment instead. Nobody deserves it. Nobody's getting in on that basis. And yet grace is free because it's been earned by 
someone else. And who would that be? You see, people all over the world, religious entities and groups all over the world are trying to do, do, do. But the only thing that will get you home to the heart of God is done. The work of Jesus that was done on the cross when he said to Telestai, it is done. It's completed. It's finished. I've done it. There's nothing else. It's all of grace. So what's missing from this story? Nobody's going after the younger brother. Did you notice that? On the other two stories, somebody went after what was lost, brought it back, celebrated, threw a party. Not here. Not in this story. You see, Jesus was setting it up for the coup de grace. He was setting it up. No one was going after the younger son. Who should have gone after him? Who should have done it? Who should have gone after those sinners? It should have been the religious of the day. It should have been the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders. They were supposed to be the elder brother. But they turned into the bad elder brother. They were supposed to be shepherding Israel, the flock of God. But they shepherd themselves in their own arrogance you see, who should have gone? It should have been the older brother in this third part of Jesus' stories. And who, by implication, is Jesus saying who the real elder brother is? It's him. He's basically saying to those scribes and Pharisees, you should have been doing this for them, shepherding them, Providing for them. That was your job. You failed. I'm the true elder brother. I'm going to show you what love truly is. And I'm going to give my life. So that they, the guilty ones, can go free. That is the gospel, my friends. You see, by implication... Jesus is the true older brother. He is what John 10, 15 says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, to get home to dad and to his goodness and mercy will cost Greatly, but I'm coming to pay the cross, pay the price of sin so that you can enjoy the feast forever with me. That's the gospel. And anything else that's not that smells like smoke. Only through the work of the true elder brother are we able to find our way home to the Father. Give up on everything else that you're counting on. 
I don't care what it is. Let it go. There's only one true elder brother that can get you home to the heart of God. Many people believe the story found in Luke 15, 11, 32 shouldn't be known as the parable of the prodigal son. And I think they're right. It should be known as the story of the loving and merciful father and of the great hearted son, our Lord Jesus, that paid the price so that we could go home and know the father's love forever. How do we know that? Listen closely. Romans 5, 8, you know it. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, we've done nothing, Christ died for us. And it's all now done. It's all finished. If you trust the elder brother, the true elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you have done, wherever your failures and sins like mine, however great they are, whatever it is that you have done that makes you think now that you must stay away from God or from his people, it's a lie. Because of what Christ has done, the gates have been opened wide to people who repent. And come and admit they have nothing, but everything they need is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. If you're longing to return home, my friend, you will find your father waiting for you with open arms. He's not disgusted with you if you have put your faith in his son. You see, if you come as you are, with no prid pro quo, no excuses tendered, no, well, I'm going to do better, just give me more time. No, you come as you are. It's the old hymn, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. That's all it takes to be able to go home forever with the Father. Mary's already there, Greg. All of us, any of us, no matter what we've done, can go. But we can only go on the tales of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior and Lord. Listen to the conclusion of this story of grace. Luke 15, 32. It was fitting to celebrate, Jesus said, and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. What about you? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray within the sound of my voice, there will, if there are those that do not know the way home, the way that you've, the new and living way that you've opened, Lord Jesus. 
help them let go of everything that they are counting on. Lord, give them faith. Let them trust in Jesus and Jesus only. Give them that gift, O Lord. Let them have the grace that you merited and deserved. That they and all of us who do not deserve it may go for, get to go free because of Jesus, our true elder brother. Lord, we pray, grant this to anyone that hears this day. And may their life be changed forever because of him who loved them and became the sacrifice for them. And so they can go home with you. And we pray in Jesus' name. And amen.